If you need a Bible, raise your hand and these guys will be glad to give you one. You take your Bibles and or your devices and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I made several people a promise this week concerning this morning that I plan to keep. But knowing me, I probably uh, shouldn't have written that check. But I plan to finish this sermon today, this outline. So you will have to listen quickly. Quickly. Are you ready to listen quickly? I think some of you are still cooking out from yesterday, aren't you? Memorial Day. I love thinking about Memorial Day weekend and the the sacrifice those men and women have made for us to be able to do what, stand here and do this, to be free, to enjoy all the benefits of being Americans. I love everything about World War II just absolutely fascinates me. I love watching old video and reading books and articles and interviews and that movie, I was telling my client that movie, The Longest Day. Uh, it is the longest movie ever made, I think, but, and, uh, but I've watched it probably three times. I love that movie. We even watched, Mary and I were watching, I think it was The Battle of the Bulge, which is another great movie, and we were watching that, and it was on that the TCM channel. So if you remember years ago when you'd go to a theater, and they would have the movie, like, and then they would have intermission. I remember for some reason when I went to see The Sound of Music as a kid, can't believe I did this, but me and my brother, who was uh, like 13, we went to see The Sound of Music together, and to this day, I, I love that movie, that music. Anyway, I'll, I'll sing uh, Edelweiss here for you a few minutes, but no, I won't. But anyway, about halfway through the movie or something, they would have intermission, and they'd put it on the screen, intermission, right? And they'd, for like 10 minutes, whatever it was, they'd just play music, and then they'd have the little dancing ice cream sandwiches and stuff come across, and let's all go to the lobby. Mary loves to sing that song. Why don't you stand up and sing it, Mary? Let's all go to the lobby. And we're all going to go to the lobby and get something. So we're sitting there watching it this, this I guess it was Friday, watching the Battle of the Bulge, and it gets to intermission. I thought, okay, it's funny. They put the word intermission up there. And then they just, the screen just said intermission for like 10 minutes. They didn't, they, I guess that gives you that nostalgic feel of like you're back in the theater. You can go to the refrigerator now and get an ice cream sandwich or something. But I love to watch uh, World War II stuff. It just fascinates me. Yeah, I guess a lot of it is that my dad fought in World War II, and and uh, I have a friend to this day that was uh, in World War II, and and relatives, and and having done funerals for a number of those people, what a special uh, generation they truly were, and the sacrifices that they made. When you, when you watch that movie, The Longest Day, and you just see in the, I realize it's a movie, but you see those guys uh, that Normandy Beach and Omaha Beach, and and uh, the beaches at Normandy, or Omaha and Utah, and what they went through, those young men, young men realizing that we're probably not going to live beyond today, and uh, that it's a reason we can be free today, people like that, and so I, I think it's important that we do remember, and I appreciate what what Peter did today. Turn to chapter 1 of Ephesians and get ready to listen quickly. We're going to try to wrap this up today, because i got something special I want to begin next week, and I think the Lord is led me to do, and I've been studying that, and uh, uh I just really think that God's, God's going to bless us in that. We are looking at how rich we are as the church. We've been talking about this since Easter. 
that it's important for us to understand that it is our ministry beyond Easter to go out and do our culture and show to them the one true God who came, he died, he was buried, he rose again, ascended to the right hand of the Father. His name is Jesus the Christ, that he alone is God. He alone is our Savior. He alone can bring you forgiveness. He can bring you genuine happiness. And the things that we as believers know and understand that we want to share with our culture. So last week, we talked about the down payment, how rich we are, and the down payment we get with the Holy Spirit. And then we left off, if you'll notice your handout on number two, we began to talk about the hope of the church. As you've heard me say many times, my favorite word in scripture to describe what it means to be a believer is that we have hope. So we talked about last week in verses 15 and 16. Let's just start there and read those. Ephesians 1, 15. Therefore I, Paul, also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I, Paul, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So he's talking about his gratitude for the church. And this is kind of where we left off last week. And I think it's really important that you see this as we transition into the next part. He is so grateful for the believers at Ephesus whom he had pastored for a while. He had spent, he loved these folks. He's writing back to them from prison. And he's getting great reports on those two things. Their love for each other, their love for all believers, and their faith. We talked about this a little bit last week. We're on a personal level. I want you to know as I was studying this how much it meant to me as a pastor and God would bring to my mind of just thinking about some of you, and I won't embarrass you by mentioning your names, but how special many of you are to me beyond just being those that I get to pastor and, and to lead under the great shepherd, but on a personal level, as friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and things that you do for me, you do for our church, you do in this community, who you are, that the, the integrity, and that you love each other, Paul said, and you have genuine faith. It's not a game. You want to be real. You want to live out your faith in Jesus Christ. You want people to know that you're a Christian. You want to share your faith. You are thrilled to be able to go out into all the world and share the gospel. And it really means a lot to me to know that I get to be part of that. To know that as I prepare and get ready to stand up and share the word of God, that my prayer always is that you'll hear from God and then you'll go out and share that with your sphere of influence. Because every one of you has that. You have a sphere of influence in your family and your work and your community and all that you do. And for example, this week we're opening our new campus and uh, it's called uh, Christ Church Gulf Coast. We've got so many people either in Destin or Gulf Shores or Perdita Bay or Santa Rosa. You go down there now, you just drive around, you'll run into somebody that goes to this church. They're just, they're down there. They're all over the place. They're like, they're just like uh, ants. They're everywhere. So we're opening a new campus down there, and I feel God calling me to go down there and, and hang out and pastor the, the Gulf Coast, the Emerald Coast. That'd be a great name for a church, wouldn't it? Christ Church Emerald Coast. Wait a minute, I think I've just had a, never mind. All right. So Paul's gratitude for them. Now, I want us to transition into verse 17 and 18, keeping that mindset 
that he is a pastor and as the apostle to the Gentiles and how special these believers were. And then he says to them, I'm grateful for you, and now I'm going to pray for you. So you transition into 17, and you see Paul's beginning here, going through 23, Paul's prayer for the church. We're going to focus on 17 and 18 right now. That the God of our Lord Jesus the Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We've been talking a lot about what those riches are. And as he says, now I'm going to pray for you. I want you to notice something as we get into this prayer. Number one, who Paul is addressing his prayer to. Contextually, then putting it together with the New Testament. He says, verse 17 again, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice verse 16 context. He says, I do not cease, verse 16, to give thanks for you, you believers at Ephesus, making mention of you in my prayers. So every time he's praying, he's talking about constantly I'm praying for you, giving thanks for you, for your faith and your love. And notice who he addresses in verse 18. As he prays, number one, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the addressee of his prayers, and secondly, the Father of glory. This is who he's praying to, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by extension, I want you to think about that for a moment, that he's saying the same God, the Father, that our Lord Jesus prayed to. Remember they came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And if you read through the Gospels, you constantly see Jesus getting alone to spend time with the Father and to pray. And Paul says, I'm addressing that same God, that same Father of glory that Jesus addressed on the behalf of the disciples, on behalf, if you read John 17, of these people that he's now talking to, all those who would believe, and also by extension, and following what the doctrine teaches, Jesus in John 17 is praying for you and for me. Talking about us being one as the Trinity is one. Very, very powerful end to the upper room discourse that Jesus says, now glorify yourself, Father, with the glory. Glorify me with the glory we had before the world began. Eternity past, going forward from the cross. And he says, and all those who will believe on these that are in the room. Man, I get goosebumps even now thinking about that. That here we are, the direct result of the beginning of the church age, and we are in the church age. And that's why this is so important, that we remember and understand the inheritance that is ours, we currently possess. We've talked about the last few weeks. And then we then go out and share that. And so Paul is he's addressing that God. This is the same God Jesus addressed, and about two things we're going to see as we go through. Number one, that the saints at Ephesus, and we saints as well, would, number one, we'll see in a moment, be gripped by the truth, that it would just grab you. If, you, if you've heard me for any length of time, and some of you ad nauseum heard me say, what sets you free? Truth. We want to be gripped by the truth. That was Jesus' prayer for them. It's Paul's prayer for the believers at Ephesus. It's God's will for you and me. It should be our prayer for each other. It's my prayer as a pastor for you, that you're gripped 
by the truth, that I'm gripped by the truth, number one. And then secondly, that you're gripped by it and then you go do it. You don't just give intellectual assent to a set of facts. You place your faith, your trust in the truth which sets you free and then you go out and you live it. That's what we're going to see as we walk through this prayer. He wants them, as Jesus did, to be gripped by the truth and then go out and live it. And the Father of glory, that we get to be the ones, we are the church, the body of Christ. We have the great high privilege and the highest call a human being can have on his or her life is to go into the world and glorify God. The chief end of man is to glorify God. That's why we're on the planet. That's why the church is so significant. I constantly just, I, I think about my kids, my grandkids, I was sharing with my class this morning, and we think, man, our grandkids, it's just, your grandkids especially, that there's no way. Jesus has to come back. There's just no way. Think about the people in World War II. What do they think? They had to be thinking what? They, they, they can't get any worse than this. Jesus has to be coming back now. Here's the great, the most comforting doctrine in all of Scripture. It's the sovereignty of God. He's in control. He knows. He's already in tomorrow. We know the future. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And so we, re we rest. That's Sabbath. what the word means. We rest in the knowledge of who our God is. We relax because of who he is. And then we go tell the world about him. Because what they think God is is not who he is. But you know who he is as a believer. Now, let's notice Paul's prayer for them. Number one, verse 17, that they'd have a spiritual attitude. And notice we're going to progress. Be gripped by truth, then do truth. So the first point is you'd have a spiritual attitude about life. Verse 17, that the God of, our, of, our, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, number one, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That he would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Look at the top of your outline. The very top of your outline, you'll see a verse. 2 Peter 1.3. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just want you to notice one phrase in there. That God has given to you as a believer, as a saint. Notice the little phrase. All things pertaining to life and godliness. Do you see that little phrase? God has given to you in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling to you, indwelling you. He has given to you, he's given to us corporately, all things pertaining to life and godliness. It is available to us. It is ours. We possess it. We have it. It's simply a matter of are you going to access it? For example, in my refrigerator at home, I have these little Heath bars. They are absolutely delicious. I know I just, now I know I shouldn't eat a lot of them, and I don't. But I really like them. Now, if, if I really want to enjoy them, what have I got to do? I got to go over to the freezer, push Mary out of the way, open the freezer, take out the little ice cream Heath bar, and do what? Eat it. And then I can say, woo, that's good. You have the Holy Spirit, you have the Word of God, you have your prayer life, you have the fellowship of believers, you have all things pertaining to life and godliness. Are you going to access them? 
How much time do you spend accessing them? How much time do you spend in prayer? How much time do you spend in the word of God? How much time do you spend seeking the will of God and wanting to do it in the lives of other believers? So many people in churches, good churches even, they spend all their time saying, for lack of a better term, they ain't doing what I want them to do. That's a spiritual term. They ain't doing what I want them to do. When your concern should be, Lord, what do you want me to do on behalf of others, the church? What are my gifts, Lord, and how would you have me use, where would you have me use them? What particular function do you have for Randy in the body of Christ? So he says, number one, have the right attitude. Understand you have what pertains. Stop looking for so many people. I was studying this this week and uh, um, looking at some different things. So many people in, again, Christian churches, go by that name, sometimes good churches, they spend all their time looking for a couple of things. One, they want to jump to this next level. They think there's some, there's some other event that needs to happen in their life so they can be spiritual. They didn't get all the Holy Spirit when they were born again. How much? How can you get part of a spirit? Scripture says you were baptized in the Spirit when you were saved. You were ta- immersed in it. And you came out differently. You have the Holy Spirit. But you don't. You don't have to seek another experience. So many people do, or they seek a formula where I can pray this, pray this, pray this, and God will have to do this for me. There's no such formula. There's no such mantra. You go to God and you pray, Lord, what would you, you've given me these funds. What do you want me to do with them? Lord, you've given me this time. What do you want me to do with it? You've given me these talents. What do you want me to do with these talents, Lord? Everything, every good and perfect gift, James says, comes down from the Father of lights. Your Father gives to you good and perfect gifts. And then he says, now use them to glorify me, not yourself. You don't have to seek another blessing. You don't have to have this mantra. You don't have to have a formula to get God to do what you want. He wants to do what's best for you, and he will. He's not going to do what you want him to do unless what you want him to do fits into his plan. And that's what so many people, including a lot of preachers, do. They try to tell God what to do, and then God's supposed to do it. I don't tell God what to do. I just thank him that he's there and say, what do you want me to do in light of the word of God, in light of the Holy Spirit, in light of my prayer life? Not, Lord, do what I claim, what I want you to do. The right attitude. Stop looking for something you already have. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the word of God. You would be amazed and Maybe you wouldn't, but having done this for 32 years, I am amazed how often I talk to people who are Christians, many times who've been in church their whole lives, and they're, they're asking me about doing something, you think God would be okay with this, and it directly contradicts what the Word of God teaches, and they want to know if it's God's will. How long does it take me to answer that question? I like to talk, so you may have noticed that. It don't take me long to answer that one. The answer is no. No, God doesn't want you to do that. How do I know? It's not God's will for you to leave your husband. Why do I know? Because God, he says right here, don't do that. 
Yeah, people say, well, it, I, I can't find uh, where abortion is wrong in the Bible. Really? Thou shalt not murder. How about that one? There's no option. It's wrong. God lays out in his word, this is what I want you to do. Now, are there gray areas that we disagree on? Yes. There are certain things that's pretty clear. And so when he says this is the way it is, that's the way it is. I don't get to change that. Absolute truth is absolute truth, whether I like it or not. So what I do is surrender to the truth. Grip, let it grip me. Surrender to it and then go do it. Right attitude. You rest in the peace of God. You have peace, love, joy, strength. Fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness. Against such there is no law. And then go out and let the Holy Spirit live the Christ life through you. You already have it. Are you going to access it? Are you going to use it? Secondly, verse 18. Once you have a spiritual attitude, okay, Lord, I want to do this. I'm in. The next step is you need spiritual enlightenment. Verse 18. That the eyes of your understanding, it's what he's praying, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward you who believe. Spiritual enlightenment. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. I love this phraseology in the original language because here's what he's saying. We talked about you get an attitude. Notice the progression. You get a spiritual attitude. Okay, Lord, I'm pumped up. I went up, went to that retreat. I heard that knucklehead speak. I'm in. I'm signed up. What do I do now? You begin to get enlightened. And here's what the phrase means in Greek. I want to get it exactly right. Greek, it means the center of your thinking and understanding. The center of your thinking and understanding. So many people do not approach the Christian life with a rational mindset. Yes, there are things you cannot understand. You cannot understand eternality of God with a finite being. You can't understand the fact God sees in all of history and forward simultaneously. No, you can't comprehend that because you don't, you have a finite mind. What you can do is take the mind that God has given to you that he created. You created in his image. He gave you a mind. He gave you an intellect. He gave you the capacity to think rationalize and emote thought get it out so here's what he's saying once you have the attitude lord i want to do truth the next step is to learn it that the center of your thinking and your understanding would be enlightened that's what the word means the center that is you that you learn the word of god you make your decisions that's what wisdom is in scripture looking at something and make a decision based on how would god do that How would God do the following? What would the Lord say about this according to the principles of the word of God? Now, how are you going to know the principles of the word of God? Quick. You might have to learn what the word of God said, right? I'm amazed how many preachers that I listen to or read that don't even know what the Bible says. They just kind of make it up as they go. Be really careful about that. Lord takes that real serious. Read about the, the judgment of false prophets over in Jude and other places. It's not a pretty picture. Here's what God says. Okay, you got the right attitude. Now you need to get enlightened. Your mind 
and your will. That's why your prayer life, your prayer life should have two primary focuses. Or foci, I guess, in Latin. Two. Number one, our Father, which art in heaven. What's the next phrase? Hallowed be what? Say it again. Thy name, or let's be cool, your name. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What pronoun is not there? My name. You know how many people their prayer life is exactly opposite? By the way they pray, what they it's like, God, you're lucky to have me on your side, now do this for me. God's my cosmic genie, simply exists to do what I want him to do. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Set aside, glorify for what it's worth. That's what it means to glorify God. In my entire prayer life, my mental focus, my enlightenment in my prayer life has to be begin with glorifying God in everything. Secondly, continue on. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your on earth as it is in heaven. You think there's angels hanging around in heaven going, look here, God, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't need to do that, God. You, you, are, you, are you crazy? Anybody in heaven questioning God? Angels simply exist to do what God tells them to do. They're messengers on our behalf, his children. And here's, my, here's our prayer life. Number one, Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Number two, your will be done. Not what I want, God, bless. Here's what most people do. God, I, I want this. Would you please bless that? God, I'd like this. Would you give it to me? God, what you should say is, Lord, this is what I would like. Are you cool with that? And if he's not cool with that, what's your next response? Not, Lord, get cool with it. It's okay. What would you be cool with? That's a theological term. Lord, what would you be cool with? And then that's what you, but here's why. If you, if you do what God, you're going to be supremely blessed anyway. You know what the word blessed means in scripture? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Bless, you know what those, that word actually means? It means spiritually happy. If you really want to be happy, you do it God's way. And you will. So he wants you to be enlightened. Now, what's he want you to be enlightened about? Look at the verse again. The hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of the inheritance and the saints. He wants your eyes open to how rich you are. We've already talked about that. Stop living a dull, routine existence just going through life. Start living out the hope and the inheritance that you already possess. You, every day for you as a Christian, you should be excited to get up, and I know it's sometimes hard. I know there are difficult circumstances. I know you hurt. I know, I know. Guess who else knows? Your father knows. But he also says to you, in the middle of that difficulty, I'm with you. I'm using it. I'm molding. I'm shaping this tapestry, this, this pottery that is you to glorify me. And so you say, all right, Dad, this is not going to be, it's going to be difficult, but how can I glorify you in the middle of this? Every day should be exciting for you. Whatever you got to face, that you realize that God was, what God was in your today, yesterday. He was in your today, thousands of years ago. He was in your today before he created the universe. Whoa, 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 stop, Randy. That hurts. He, 
he knew about every hair on your head or lack thereof before he spoke the universe into existence. You're that special to him. And he knows tomorrow, wherever you're going to be, holiday, whatever it might be, Thursday, wherever you're going to be, he's already there. He's prepared the way. So your mindset focus is, all right, Lord, I want to glorify you. I want your will done, not mine. And how do I work through this difficult circumstance? I I don't really, sometimes you don't know what to do, right? Who'd be a good person to ask? Dr. Phil? Nah, let's let's don't go with Dr. Phil. Oprah? No. How about asking your dad? How about asking him? Here's why. He don't make mistakes. Never has. Never will. Never. You ever thought about that? How many mistakes in the history of the world has God ever made? How many have you made? How many have you made today? Let's see. uh, One, two. Just today. So uh, let's say I'm a father. Many of you are fathers with young children. You need prayer, don't you? You do. God gives you some principles in his word to be a godly father. So you know those. And every day, you should, you'd say, all right, Lord, I want to live out that principle as a godly father or mother. But as a godly father, Lord, I want to lead my family. I want my son to see what a godly man is. I want my daughters to see how a man treats a woman on and on. I want them to see that I'm interested in the word of God, I'm, that it's not sissy to love the Lord. It's not sissy to read the Bible. It's not sissy to go to church. I want them to know that Jesus Christ was the greatest man that ever walked the planet beyond being God. And I want to be like him. That's just one example. What about how many of you are married? Some of you ain't too proud of it. So how many of you every day might struggle a little bit with your spouse? Uh Uh-oh. So pray, all right, Lord, I want to be a godly husband. There's some principles laid out. I want to be a godly wife. There are principles that are laid out. You don't get to change them and redo them for yourself. God gives you the principles so that then you can go do what God wants you to do. What about, let's say you're a single adult. God gives you some principles as well. It's a tough life, but he knows every detail One of my favorite verses of the Bible is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And it says that God, that he understands the temptation. Been tempted in every way you are, yet without sin. And when you are tempted, he will will always present you with a way of escape. He knows. He also empathizes. Jesus was tempted in every way you are, yet he did not sin. He understands. And he can do something about it. You're looking for enlightenment. Third, verse 18. The riches of the glory of his inheritance. Spiritual action. Action. The odds of your understanding being enlightened, verse 18, that you may know what's the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance, and what's the exceeding greatness of his power toward you. That you'll know. And then you'll go do it. Talked about being gripped by truth, 
than doing truth. First Corinthians chapter 2, the Bible says these words. As it is written, eyes not seen nor ear heard. Same guy right, wrote this that wrote Ephesians. I, as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You never understand all that God has for you. That's both in eternity and now. God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the t- things of a, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that we have been, that have been freely given to us by God. He has so much. And that's why I hate false teachers, don't hate them, hate false teaching, that they take passages like this, And they say, God can't wait to give you all this money. That's not what this is talking about. What it's talking about is God has some incredible spiritual ministry things he wants to do in you, through you. He wants to reveal them to you, the Holy Spirit that's in you, the word of truth, and then let you go out and minister that truth to others. Sometimes it might be through money. But it's not through money for you to get things. It's through money he might give you to use on behalf of someone else for ministry purposes. So many other things that he wants to do. In another place, Paul wrote these words. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. As you go through the difficulties of life, it doesn't compare with what awaits the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, that's how he describes it, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We do not look at the things which are seen around us, but at the things which are not seen, the spiritual, the invisible, the future, For the things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. Here's his point. There's a lot of stuff there. Just make one point. The entire creation, the entire creation, the universe, everything that God created is groaning, waiting for the final redemption when Christ comes back and there's a new heaven and a new earth. And they want to be set free like we already are. Do you see that? The liberty of the children of God. What we already possess in Jesus Christ, the entire creation groans for that kind of freedom. They're in corruption. Non-believers are in bondage to sin. You've been set free. So the final point, number three on your handout. Verse 18. The power of the church. 
what we have. The odds of your understanding being light that you may know what is the hope of his calling or the rich of his glory of his inheritance in the saints. Wow, I love this. And I never really understood this till a couple of weeks ago. And I can't tell you how many times I've read through Ephesians, maybe even taught Ephesians. But I learned something new and it just was exciting for me. You may already know it. But let me share it with you. We've been talking about over and over several times, our inheritance as believers. We're joint heirs to Christ. We're going to rule with Jesus one day. All that we have that awaits us, incredible. What we currently possess, what he's talking about here is that we, the church, we, the children of God, we, the body of Christ, are God's inheritance. Do you see that? That's unbelievable. He looks at us as and he uses these terms in other places. We are his valuable, most precious possession. He, the glory in the saints. He bestows his power on us for his glory and enables us to share with people the inheritance that we have, but God looks at us as his inheritance. That phrase, joint heirs with Christ, for example, used in Romans, means we will reign with Christ, we will inherit everything because we are the children of God, we are his family. If, if you're a grandparent, for example, like I am, it's, such, it's so cool just to spend time with your grandchildren. Or as a parent, how special it is just to be with your children. That's the way God looks at us. That's why he says in the Bible, precious in his sights the day when one of us dies. We get to go home and daddy gets to see you and hug you. I've shared this many times about I could be having the, just the worst day and one of my grandkids will, like, I'll go home and little Lydia will be at our house and when I pull in the garage and, and Mary will say, they call her Grammy, and say, Grammy will say, Randy's here. And you can, you can hear Lydia just running to hide somewhere. Knowing what? I'm going to come find her, right? And she just, you know, I, I'll burp every now and then. I know you, none of you do that, but. I burp every now and then, and Lydia thinks it's the funniest thing. And I think that's what I like. She thinks it's the funniest thing. She'll just giggle out loud every time I burp, which I can do on a regular basis. And I'd be having the worst day, and I walk in, and little Lydia's hiding from me somewhere, or I'll be in my office at home working, and she'll come in there, and she just, I have a couple of basketballs on the shelf in there, like kids have given me a coach team. She wants to get one of those down and play with it. Well, she don't want to just get it down and play with it. What does she want? She wants me to play with it with her. Now, What's more important to me at that moment in time? They're playing basketball with Lydia, right? Because that's what she wants to do. Or Ella now, my, my eldest grandchild, she'll text me or FaceTime. That's cool, isn't it? Your heavenly father loves you. You, We are his inheritance. We get to brag on our dad. And then the result, one day when... My time on earth, I'm bragging on my dad is over. Where do I go? I go home. In the story of the prodigal son, as hurt as that father was, when the son came home, what did the father do? Everything he could to make him feel welcome, didn't he? Grabbed him, hugged him, 
had the fatted calf, gave him the ring, everything. And the other son was, didn't, had a bad attitude, didn't he? Well, the prodigal son was wrong. But he came back. What did the dad do? Welcome home, son. Welcome home. God wants you to know you are his inheritance. That's what he's going to get for all eternity that we, the church, will be with the lamb around the throne of the father worshiping. If you study that in Revelation, the Bible says there's no artificial light there at all. It's illuminated by the presence of the lamb. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That's your savior. That's your future. And God says, we are his future. We are his inheritance. So notice his power toward us. Verse 19, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Seated at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 19, again, notice a couple of words. The exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked. You keep saying power, working, mighty, power. Let me kind of help you with those words. Four Greek words are used there, four different ones, to emphasize the greatness of this power. Notice the beginning of verse 19. The exceeding greatness of his power toward whom? Us who believe. Saints, his children, context, saints, believers. Four words are used to emphasize the greatness of his power. The first word power there, we get our Greek word dynamite from it. That's the first example. Second word is an energizing force, something that empowers like a, for lack of example with us, to just shoot off a rocket somewhere. Dynamite, great force of power to shoot something. Then the word mighty is the ability. And then the final word power is dominion. The exceeding greatness. All that we will ever need. Look at the top of your handout again. That power is available to you. Now notice verse 20. Verse 20. The same power he worked in Christ Jesus when he did what? Two things. He raised Jesus from the dead and then seated him at the right hand of the throne in the heavenly places. Please note this. This is I talked about the sovereignty of God earlier. This emphasizes it so powerfully, pardon the pun. He's saying to you, to the church, to us, the same power that I used on the most significant moment in history when I raised Jesus Christ from the dead to conquer sin and death, and then he ascended to the right hand to sit at the highest seat of majesty, honor, and power and authority in the universe, the same power that I use to accomplish those two things, that's what's at work in you. Oh, that should stagger you. That power, that resurrection power is in us who believe because that's where God is. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit indwells us That same power is in us who believe. Why would we ever question our God? Why would we ever not trust him? Why would we ever not do it his way? That's who our God is. 
Hebrews chapter 1 says this about Jesus. Being the brightness of the glory and the express image of his God's person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself, Jesus, purged or paid for our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. But to the Son, God the Father, quote from the Old Testament says, quote, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. That's who your Savior is. The most powerful being in all the universe is your Savior and your, your God. That same power is at work in us, through us, to save the world. That's how, notice the title at the top of your handout. The riches. That's how rich we are. Finally, verse 21. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Please notice those phrases. Far above all All principality, one, power, two, might, three, dominion, four. And every name, five, that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. He put all things under his feet. Jesus gave him, Jesus to be the head over all things to the church. That's you, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills us all in all. As Christ's body, we share in his resurrection. We share in his ascension. We share in his exaltation. Paul put it this way in another book, raised to new life in Christ, seated in the heavenlies, the last shall be first, and we're joint heirs with Christ. Now, please notice verse 21, and we're done. Christ is far above all four things he mentions. Principality, which is rulers and leaders. Power, which is authority. Might, which is power. And dominion, which is lordship. Jesus is far above all of those. Let me tell you what those words are in the culture in which this was written. It was written in Koine Greek, but in the culture in which it was written to the Jews, those four words were all used to describe angels. Angels. Here's what, we'll make sure we understand. Jesus is far above any angel. By the way, what is Satan? He's an angel. Jesus is far above any angel you can name and we will rule over the angels with him one day. He's far above every name that's named both now on earth and in the eternal state in the future. There's no name equal to that. In Philippians, Paul put it this way, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will agree, confess that he is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. All things are under his feet. Verse 23, one more time. 23, he put all things under his feet and he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. We are his body, his temple, the new man. Paul in another place wrote these words. Let a man so consider as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Here's why this is so important, and then we're done. If you're a Christian, you've been saved. We use that term saved, born again, redeemed, converted. God has set you free from the dominion and the power of sin. And our world is owned by it to the point it's killing them, eating them alive, 
And we alone have the answer to what sin will do to somebody. Because we've been set free from that. We know. I'll tell you a true story and then we're going to pray. It's a little gross, so pardon me, but it really illustrates this point. I read an article, and some of you may remember Paul Harvey from years ago, great, uh, uh, had a tremendous radio show and, and uh, newsman. He, newsman, he told a story about how Eskimos kill a wolf. What they'd do was take a knife and they would coat it in blood and then let it freeze. They'd put another coating of blood on it and let it freeze. And another one, another, until it was completely covered in frozen blood and they would just stick it in the ice and they would go to bed. Well, the wolf would smell the blood, whatever animal it was, that the wolf would come out and start licking the knife. As more blood he got, the more harder the, the wolf would lick. And the more he licked, the more blood he would get. And he was so consumed by ingesting that blood that he never realized that he had cut his own tongue and whose blood was he now consuming? His own. And the next morning they would come out and they would find a dead wolf there, bled to death. And that's what sin will do to you unless Jesus sets you free. You just start out, you're drawn to something, you're drawn to it, and then it just takes over. It owns you, dominates you, and eventually it will destroy you. Unless you come to Jesus Christ, who paid the price, his blood, that you would be set free from the power of sin and death. That's how rich we are. We know that. We need to share that with our world. Let's pray. Father, we just pause before you as our God, our, the Father who loves us, the Father who is there, the God who is real, the God who is there, the God who is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. We thank you, Father, that you're in tomorrow. We thank you that you're in control. I pray for us as believers that we would surrender, have a spiritual attitude, that we would begin to get spiritual enlightenment, and then we would have spiritual action. We would do what we know. Have the right attitude, then learn it, then do it. Because without the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our world has no hope. Without changed lives, our world has no hope. But in Christ, they have all hope. So I pray you would motivate us and encourage us, give us opportunities to share the truth of the gospel with others. And Lord, if there's somebody here who's not a believer, they're being dominated by sin, they would come to Jesus Christ at this moment and say, Lord, forgive me, save me. I want to be set free from the bondage of sin. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.